0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, We are continuing our series on church jargon, or church words that we commonly throw around as believers and people involved in a church. But someone who is new to a church and the whole idea of Christianity, sometimes our language can um, hinder our conversations and distance us from each other. And so we're looking at words that we commonly use And we're defining those and applying those. And so far, we've looked at the word trinity, which was a big one a couple weeks ago. Uh, We looked at law, commandments, and rules. And today, we're looking at um, a jargon called atonement. Now, one of my favorite authors is a Chinese man, actually. And he goes by the name of Watchman Nee. And I would be terrible if I tried to pronounce his real Chinese name. It would, it would, he goes by Watchman Nee. And he was a believer um, last century, born early 1900s, and died in 1972 in a prison camp in China. And his family was only only notified a a couple weeks after he was already dead, cremated, and his ashes um, thrown into a garbage heap there in that Chinese prison camp. But he was an amazing believer. And he wrote several books, he had lots of preaching tours, um, started a lot of small churches there in China that are still in existence today, and um, he's just a real encouragement, one of my favorite authors to read. And he has a quote here that's going to kind of set the stage for our discussion on atonement. He says, no religion of this world, no ethics, no culture, no law can improve this fallen human spirit. Nothing from himself can return him to a spiritual state. And what Watchman Nee was saying is that it doesn't matter what you add to life, whether it's the pursuit of beauty and health, whether it is money and vacations and ease of comfort, it doesn't matter if it's any type of philosophy, any kind of psychology, any kind of therapy, any kind of emotional health movements that you might have, nothing you try Nothing this world has to offer will solve the problem of spiritual decay and deadness within us. Nothing this world has to offer. No man made religions, man made philosophies, science, nothing. It doesn't matter if capitalism is involved or socialism is, is involved. It doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal, it will not help. The main problem with our human heart, in a relationship with God. None of it will help except this word, atonement. In that word, atonement, I think it can be easily seen and identified as at-one-ment. Take those words together. The word at, the word one, and the word mint. It's the process of being one. The process of being whole and complete. And that wholeness and completeness we're talking about is a relationship with God. That division that has been broken and destroyed because of sin, because of the fall, to restore it, we need atonement. Being made one with God. And that word atonement touches so many other little parts of Scripture. So many other different words that we just throw around and use because they're common to us. Words like the cross. Everything about the cross is about the atonement. Everything about the birth of Jesus Christ leads to the atonement. Everything about his death and resurrection is about the atonement. Words like reconciliation, redemption, the fall, sin, even grace, and the gospel are all filled With the atonement. When we talk about the substitutionary death of Christ or the penal substitutionary death of Christ, all those fancy words points to one thing. It has to do with the atonement, how God makes us one with him again. And so this is a very important word. This Word touches the entirety of your experience as a believer. It touches everything about evangelism because there is no evangelism without atonement. There is no good news without the message of how we are made one with God, how that relationship is restored. It is foundational to prayer. You can't have a prayer life if the atonement of Jesus Christ is not also your atonement. It touches every aspect of the Christian life. So I think it is important to spend some time looking at Scripture describing the atonement. And so when we use that in our conversations, when you hear it in a sermon, when you hear it in a song being sung, sung something about the shed blood of Christ or His work upon the cross, it is all talking about the atonement. And one of the places that we understand the atonement real well is in the word redemption. Now, the word redemption simply means deliverance through the payment of a price. Redemption is deliverance through the payment of a price. A redeemer is the person who pays the price. The redeemed is the person whose price has been paid, and the ransom is the price paid. So that one word, redemption, redeemer, redeemed, and ransom, I guess those are four words, but they all feel like one word. That word encapsulates what happens in the atonement. We need a process. Something has to change, so we have redemption. Who's going to be doing all the work? We need a redeemer. Who's that work going to be applied to? The redeemed. What has to be paid? The ransom. I'm not looking for an answer or a raise of hands, but do you know what the ransom that has to be paid is in order to make us one with Christ, one with God? It's not money. You don't owe God any money, nothing. You don't owe him any money. That's the good news. The bad news is there is something you have to pay him. And you're not going to be able to do it. I don't care how much strength and power and resolve and and pulling yourself up by the bootstrap you might have, you're not going to be able to pay the debt of living a perfect life according to the law. The law of God. Not the law of man that we saw last week, but the law of God. You can't pay the price of perfection. God says multiple times, Be holy, for I am holy. If you want a relationship with God, holiness is the hallmark and standard. So in comes redemption. Now we see Christ in this role of redeemer, paying the ransom for redemption for us in Isaiah chapter 53. Now the entire chapter is an amazing chapter about the work of Christ in the life of the believer But in these few verses, verse 5 and 6 of Isaiah 53, Isaiah the prophet writes this about Jesus and our relationship with Him, which at the time was the Messiah or the Anointed One, the Christ. It says, um, let me just start in verse 4, 4 through 6. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. So Christ came to redeem us, to pay that ransom, and he was burdened with our griefs, with our sorrows, with our pain, with our suffering, with our debt. And when we saw that, especially in the days when he was actually crucified, they mocked him, ridiculed him, rejected him, considered him worthless. And the world even views Christ as that today, that he's just a crutch, that he's just some sort of iconic figure that we pray to and hope we get good luck vibes from him from time to time. But, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Here we're talking about the work on the cross. Here we're talking about the work of the atonement. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That one verse tells you everything that took place on the cross. If you're ever wondering, what does the cross mean? Or what was accomplished in that atonement, making us one with God, it's verse 5 of Isaiah 53. Now, if you have a real old-fashioned physical Bible, Take that and write that verse down at the very front page. Just write that down there so you know you'll always remember. Cross, atonement, death of Jesus, the blood of Christ, His sacrifice, what does it mean? Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That's the ransom being paid. All of God's debt that we owed him, all of our debt that we owed God was placed upon Christ, and he was crushed, meaning that he was made of, he died. He died under that burden of our sin, our sorrows, our griefs, our iniquities. But it has brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. He's talking spiritually. And then verse 6, in our condition, all We, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our sins, all of our shames, all of the debt, all of the punishment due to our sin was laid on Christ to pay the debt. Our debt was insurmountable. For every person, our debt is insurmountable. And Christ beyond all expectations, willingly died on our behalf. Our chastisement he took upon himself, our iniquities he took upon himself, we got peace through his sacrifice. In Romans chapter 5, Paul builds upon this idea even more. Starting in verse 6 of Romans 5, Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the people he was redeeming, the ungodly. Those who had no ability to mend themselves or heal themselves or make themselves right, at that appointed time, Christ came and died for the ungodly. Then Paul has this moment of application. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. So there's times where people sacrifice themselves for others, that, that, that person who is trying to save someone steps in the way of a bullet. There's people that'll do that, but it's not common. It's not every day. It's, it's kind of rare that someone will give their life for someone else even if that person is a righteous person. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the atonement. That's the cross. That's the sacrifice. That's the substitutionary death. In our place, Christ died for us. He took the punishment due to our sin, all of the pain and suffering, agony, and future punishment of our sin, he paid for it. So that on the books before God, your debt is zero. Zero debt. You owe nothing. But you say, Tim, I I didn't do enough. You can't do enough. Or what else do I have to do to keep it? You can't do anything to keep it. It's a legal debt that has been paid in full. You can't go back and add to the debt. It's all been paid. Your past sins, your present sins, and amazingly, all of your future sins. Even the sins you're going to commit today, God has paid for in full, in Christ, completely. He goes on and says in verse 9, since therefore... We now have been justified by His blood, language of the atonement. Justified by His blood, made right with God through the sacrifice of Christ, the ransom paid. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. So not only are our sins paid in full, but the penalty for our sins are paid in full. See, because we had two problems, we had one massive debt that had two things attached to it, the principal and maybe the interest, you might think. And so the principal has been paid, our sin has been paid, but that sin invoked in God justice, and His holiness demanded that it be no simpler word but punished, And so, if Christ came and paid the debt, but the punishment wasn't paid, and what is the punishment for sin, ultimately? Hell. That's the ultimate punishment for sin, it's hell. I know it's not fun to talk about, it's not exciting, it's it's filled with sorrow and grief and hopelessness, but that punishment would be eternal if Christ did not pay for both the debt. And the punishment or penalty of that death. And Christ did. Saved us from the wrath of God. Verse 10, for if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's the cross. That's the bloodshed. That's the atonement. Reconciled is that ransom being paid. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation, that process of redemption. And so, what is Paul saying to the believer who realizes this is what took place? What is your response? Your first and number one response from Paul's word in verse 11 is this that we would rejoice in God, that we would rejoice, that there would be song and merriment in our heart, not that we would always be smiling every day and and ignore reality, but there would be a solid sense of rejoicing. You know, you can have a really crummy bad day and still rejoice that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and He has brought you into relationship with God. You can still rejoice when you hear about the death of a loved one, you can still rejoice when you get that phone call, the job is over. You can still rejoice when the election doesn't go your way. You can still rejoice, believe it or not, if the Broncos don't win. Some of you woke up. You can rejoice in every situation you find yourself in. Why? Why can rejoicing be so comfortably part of our lives in even hard things? Because that hard thing, get this, does not change what God has done through Jesus Christ for you. That hard thing doesn't stop salvation. That hard thing doesn't add more debt to your debt. That hard thing doesn't change God's love for you. It doesn't change Christ spilt his blood for you. It doesn't change your ransom is paid in full. Nothing changes that. Nothing gets in the way of God's love for you. He continues, and I'm just going to read the end of the chapter here, verse 18 through the end of chapter 5 of Romans. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, talking about the fall. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. In Christ, everyone can have that relationship with God. It is not just saved for Americans. It's for everyone. Everyone, as far away as you think they are from God, God can save them because the same debt that you have, they have, regardless of culture, regardless of what time they're living in, regardless of what religion they may be involved in, no matter what philosophy they have or lack of philosophy they have, Christ saves all. He is the answer to all salvation questions, Him and Him alone. So it doesn't matter. Just as all of us have a debt before God, this thing called sin and its punishment, So Christ offers the fullness of forgiveness and salvation to everyone. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's the transaction that's taking place in the whole redemption story, the whole at-one-ment, atonement, is that he makes us all whole, all of us. Now the law came, The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Paul is basically saying, you know, the law came in, and what the law does, it really shows us how far off we are. It really shows us how much debt we have. It really shows us how rebellious our hearts are against God. Because when he says no and puts up a sign our response, our natural reaction is to challenge it, to bend it, to make it fit our perspective, to make us feel comfortable, sometimes just to blow it out and violate it altogether. And so as much as that might be your desire to go 36 in a 35 zone or to do a rolling California stop, whatever that temptation might be, God says, I know it is strong but stronger still is my grace for you. And this is where it hits you. It should hit you immediately with that natural question. Why me, though? Why me? And there is no answer to that, and it may feel like a cop-out when I tell you this, but it's because God loves you. But why? I didn't do anything to deserve it. He goes, yes. That's why it's called grace. That's why I had to send a redeemer, because you couldn't do it. But why? Because I love you. And that should immediately melt your heart. All that hardness, all that anxiety, worry, fear, anger, bitterness to just simply disappear. And you can act like a a young school kid who's experiencing love for the first time, and you can have that little kind of moment where you just go, she loves me. He loves me. You can be giddy about God's love in your life because it should invoke in you just that rejoicing just that satisfaction of going, He loves me. He loves me. No reason. That's why it's called grace, undeserved, unmerited love and favor. There's nothing you can do to earn it or keep it. He simply has bestowed it upon you. And I know that that is humbling, that goes contrary to everything you experience because you experience generally love in a relationship with give and takes. Okay, right? You give this, you take this, and and you kind of like negotiate, okay, how's this going to work out? But not so with God. It's one-sided with God. It's not a two-sided relationship. It's one-sided. He enters into your life and places his love upon you. And in order for that love to be placed upon you, That whole debt has to be taken care of. And he does it completely. And lastly, in verse 21, well, i got to read verse 20 because it's one sentence. Now the law came in order to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the end result of this whole atonement, ransom, redeemer, redeemed relationship we'd have with God is that we would exude that we have eternal life. Not because we've earned it, not because we're good people, not because we've done more good than bad, not because we tithe, not because we attend church, not because we have a, a real physical Bible, not because we have the Bible app, not because we go to Calvary. It is because... Christ loved us, plain and simple. You got to take that in. You got to hold on and relish it and look back to it and remind yourselves of his love every time the devil comes in and says, You're not good enough. I remember it was a real challenge early on when I was a pastor. Um, Someone. Made a comment to me out in the hallway. They were visiting, and they were not a believer. They just came into the church one day, and as they were leaving, we said hi, and there were a whole bunch of people around. And I remember this guy saying, "You know, the, the church is just full of uh, hypocrites and sinners. You know, I, I you know, I, that's why I, I'm not coming back. It's just full of hypocrites." And I was, I didn't know what to say, and I had a lady kind of off to the corner and super amazing spiritual lady that pulled me aside and uh, said, Pastor? I said, yes. He goes, you should have just said yes. So what do you mean? Well, that guy who was kind of making fun of the church and said it's full of hypocrites and sinners, you should have said yes. Just tell him yes. Tell him yes it is. Well, but that's admitting we're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you are absolutely spot on and right. And I remember that conversation to this day that, yes, you're right. The church is full of sinners. You see, it's not our good works that are ever going to earn our keeping ourselves in the kingdom of God. It's him and him alone because the ransom has been paid in full. Now, watch me. knee concludes that quote that we saw at the very beginning in the very same sentence in his book by saying, the Son of God alone can restore us to God, for he shed his blood to cleanse our sins and give us new life. That is the story of the atonement. Now, as the band comes up, uh, we spend, Logan and I spend quite a bit of time thinking about the messages and the series and what songs match the series, and especially the messages individually. And a lot of time, a lot of energy goes into it. It's not haphazard. You know, we're not picking songs out of, a, out of a hat and randomly doing it just because it's a song I like or don't like it. It is because it matches the message. Now, as you stand and you sing this next song, I want you to have one word in mind the word atonement. And I think you're going to find every phrase, chorus of this song is going to scream to you, atonement. And you know what that means. And if you believe it for yourself, then there is one response in this song, and that is you should have a big smile on your face because he loves you, and you know it because the atonement is yours. So let's stand up, let's sing. Actually, I'm going to step down.